Ladies and gentlemen, in the red corner, hailing from the state of Nevada, representing the steam and wise guys, it's the always feared Vegas Odds Maker! And in the blue corner, the crowd favorite from South Florida, Mark Winning Picks Lawrence! Hi, everybody. Mark Lawrence once again along with Victor King, and we're set to go against the spread on this weekend. NFL and college football cards. And, Victor, if you can believe it, we are already into the month of October, this 2022 football season. Right, Mark. We're one month into the season, and uh, it wasn't one of those 6-0 and weekends last week that we had. Uh, pretty much a middle-of-the-road weekend, I think, probably for your service and our service uh, but with that said, at least somebody won his highest-rated game of the week, while somebody did not. And for me, yeah, I'm a little <laughs> bit salty. Here we are, what, about three days after the weekend's games, and I still got one that's kind of sticking in my craw. And for us, Mark, it was our five-star best bet on over the total in the NFL game between Buffalo and Baltimore. Ooh. A game that really had a lot going for it, except for the fact that it was one of the two NFL games that was severely impacted by the remnants of Hurricane Ian. The Philadelphia-Jacksonville uh, game, in addition to the Buffalo-Baltimore game, both were pretty much played in very windy conditions with pretty much a steady and nasty rain throughout the entire game. And while I will never blame weather when I want to play in regards to a total, uh, especially the fact that uh, we were looking pretty good in our game. Uh, the over-under line was, what, 50 points? It was 20 to 10 at the half. And in fact, the game was 20 to 20 with four minutes to go still in the third quarter. At that point, I thought we were fine. We could pretty much count each team to get a touchdown and maybe it'll be 27, 27. It might even go into overtime. But that was not the case. In the last 19 minutes of that game, there was only three total points scored, a Buffalo field goal. And it turned what looked into a, what looked like a exciting win for us into a very, very frustrating loss. There was some questionable coaching decisions in the fourth quarter of that game. Both teams had a first and goal inside the 10-yard line and came away with zero points. So here we are on Wednesday, and I'm still a little salty about that one, Mark. Well, Victor, I can relate a little bit to that. Uh, not that uh, it soothes the, uh, the pain any at all, but uh, I am participating in a contest in Las Vegas. It's uh, sponsored by Circa and VSIN. It's called an Invitational Football Contest. And one of the leaders in the contest had an overplay on a football game, a college game, and I can't recall which one it was. But anyway, he went over 62 total points, and he had 54 at the half and did not cash the ticket. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> there can be some bad beats in this world, and it sounds like the Baltimore-Buffalo game, while it isn't quite totally bad beat, it sure was ugly, ugly to the point where it sure looked like you had a winner midway through the third quarter of that football game. Hey, we'll get over it, Mark, that's for sure. Uh, but with that said, I got to take my hat off to this guy here who did win his highest rated play of the week. That was his four-star play in uh, the NFL on the San Francisco 49ers in that Monday night game against the Rams, a game San Francisco absolutely dominated. It was Mark's revenge game of the month. They got their revenge from that NC, uh, NFC championship game loss against these very same Rams. And again, a great way to finish the week, Mark, with that four-star best bet winner on the Niners. Well, thank you, Victor. That helps, uh, keeps our winning run going here throughout October. And uh, as I'll mention later on in the show, our October Rama double five-star is off to a real, real nice start. Now nine and two to begin the month of October. We'll have more details on that in just a bit later on in the show. Let's talk a little bit, Victor, if we may, about what happened last week in the world of college football. And while there weren't all that many upsets, major upsets per se, marquee upsets, 
Uh, there also weren't all that many what I call inside out stat results. And I absolutely love this time of the year when it comes to handicapping football games because now we've got a full complement of at least four games under our belt for each team. The teams are statistically taking form, and we have patterns that we can look for and see and develop. I just didn't get enough of those results last week, but there's still plenty of them out there. Uh, you know, as you know, just a, as a slight for instance here, the Philadelphia Eagles and the NFL, hopping over that side of the ball, have held every opponent to a season-low yardage mark this year. So they're playing really equally as well as their record indicates. But in college football, I didn't see a lot of that last week. Was there anything that caught your eye in the college football play last week? Not too much. I would agree with you. There were three previously undefeated teams who lost their first game of the season and thus dropped in the current college football rankings and polls. That would be uh, Kentucky, who dropped six spots, uh, NC State, who dropped four spots, and Washington, of course, lost to UCLA in that Friday night game, who dropped by six spots. And, of course, we want to welcome a couple more undefeated teams into the top 25 for the first time this season. Those undefeateds are TCU at 4-0, UCLA, who we just mentioned, is now 5-0. Can't believe I'm saying this, but the Kansas Jayhawks are 5-0 and and are now number 19 in the country. Good for them. Rock and don't, and <laughs> don't forget the Syracuse Orange as well who were previously unranked and are now ranked at number 22 with their 5-0 and record. According to my math, we're still at 16 undefeated teams through four or five weeks of the season. And one more thing that I noted, and no, Auburn didn't fire their head coach last week, but we did have a surprise firing, and that would be Paul Christ, who was fired from Wisconsin. Uh, a surprise, definitely. If you have any comments about that, Mark, I'd love to hear them. Well, I will use my Judge Judy phrase, which she likes to paraphrase things and say there were two words that come to mind about that firing. And those two words to me were absolutely sinful. Paul Chris did not deserve to be fired at Wisconsin. He's done a terrific job with that football program. And it's just a classic case. Uh, and I'm going to go back to the Ohio State football days and games when they had their head coaches, Earl Bruce and, and the like. And they were winning football games at 70, 80 percent clips, but it wasn't enough to satisfy the alumni. And Wisconsin isn't or wasn't doing enough to satisfy the alumni, despite Paul Chris Sterling record with that football program. And yes, they did lose an ugly football game. But just go look at his body of work and everything he's done with the program there. That was absolutely disgusting to see them have to have to fire him and send him a pink slip along the way. One comment I want to make here, Victor, on on and about last week's football card, and I think there is a coach that deserves to be fired. Maybe not a head coach, but at least an offensive coordinator. And I'm talking about Brian Ferentz at Iowa, Kurt Ferentz's son, who is the offensive coordinator. And when he appointed him as the offensive coordinator last year, uh, they were rolling along pretty good. They were number two ranked in the country. But lo and behold, lo and behold uh, here comes Brian, and he instills this offense that just puts people to sleep. And what did they end up doing? They ended up losing four games after being ranked number two in the country. They lost their bowl game, and they're off to a pathetic start this year, at least offensively. They're ranking a number 130 overall in college football this year, averaging just 16 points a game. Now, this is a defense that does not deserve – the offense that I was giving them, okay? So the question is, is nepotism a part of the factor at Iowa? Will Kirk Ferentz let his son go or at least reposition him to another coaching position? Because guess what, guys? Kirk Ferentz be, could be do a whole lot better with a, an offensive coordinator that brings something to the playbook, something to get people excited about, and it's not happening at Iowa. Now, I'm crying sour grapes here, okay? We used Iowa as a five-star in the newsletter. I use him as a four-star on my phone service. And... Looking at the way the game played out, it, maybe it wasn't as close as the final score, but still, I mean, they held Michigan way under their total yards, and they can't get this offense uh, to wake up at Iowa here, and something needs to be done. That's my rant, my coaching rant at least, from what I saw on the college football card last week. Any rants that you have, Victor, before we hop over to the NFL side of things? No, I would agree with you. It's definitely frustrating in regards to Iowa, averaging only, what, 242 oh, offensive God. yards per game. Uh, guess guess what other NCAA bottom feeders 
are averaging more yards per game than the Hawkeyes. Oh. We got teams like New Mexico, Massachusetts, Connecticut, <laughs> New Mexico State, a down Colorado, a down Nevada, a down Temple. It, it's embarrassing, and he's got himself a different situa- uh, situation uh, that he faces, again, with his son being an uh, offensive coordinator of that team. But we'll see if something doesn't happen between now and the end of the year. And if things don't pick up there, I'm almost certain something will happen. There'll be a change in Iowa sooner than later. Let's over the, hop over to that NFL side of things. And, Victor, just like I mentioned in college football, again, there weren't all that many what I call inside-out games in the National Football League last week. And, in fact, there weren't all that many upsets in the National Football League last week. So safe to say it played pretty true to form the National Football League did last week. But I want to comment on one thing that one of our listeners, uh, one of our big devout fans, Jeff Kabasiak, the guitar man up in Edmonton, Canada, he shot, he sent this email over here, and I want to read the email to everybody because it's really spot on. He said, I've never watched so many questionable, boneheaded coaching decisions as I've seen this season, be it on gambling on fourth down with a gimme field goal to take the lead in the fourth quarter, or a poor use of timeouts by rookie head coaches, analytics, what gives in the National Football League this year? And I think he's spot on with his observations here, Victor. We're seeing a lot of questionable calls by head coaches in the National Football League this year. And I'm just wondering if analytics is an overriding decision-making that way this year in the National Football League. I know there have been adjustments made as far as over-under totals are concerned and reasons why. I'll let you carry the ball with that uh, in that regard here. But I agree with Jeff. We have to question some of the moves that are being made by these head coaches in the National Football League this year. And a perfect case in point has to be John Harbaugh with the Baltimore Ravens, who have now lost five, and I said five, consecutive home games in a row. That That's amazing. And this was a team that a lot of people were saying would be that one of the best teams in the AFC Conference this season. You mentioned it wasn't a great week for underdogs, Mark. Eight, seven, and one ATS for underdogs uh, overall last week. Not so well for the division dogs who went one and three. Again, it was the non-division variety that had the profits. They went seven, four, and one against the spread. And in terms of year-to-date results, they're starting to jump out. 35, 25, and three for underdogs on the blind on the season. That's 58%. Again, it's the non-division dogs who have improved all the way up to 66%, going 25-13-2, including 15-6-1 on the road, 71%. We mentioned it last week. We're on a two-year historic run in which non-division road dogs have done very, very well. And the one more thing I want to add in terms of the NFL, Mark, is the fact that the, the, the headline for this week's Totals Tip Sheet newsletter is the fact that, yes, Scoring was up last week in the NFL, 49.2 points per game. A lot of people are saying, yay, we're getting back to those historic 2020 numbers when we had the highest scoring season of all time. Don't buy it. Don't buy it one bit. Even though last week's games averaged 49.2, there was still only eight unders and eight overs on the week. When you see that, when you see a high-scoring week, and yet the over-under results are balanced, you have to assume that there was a couple of high-scoring games that really throw things off kilter, and that was definitely the case. I mean, there was 93 points scored in that Detroit-Seattle game. It was the 15th highest-scoring game of all time in the NFL, and that'll really skew the numbers. And so will the 72 points scored in that Kansas City-Tampa Bay Sunday night game. If we eliminate those two really, really high-scoring games from the mix, then last week's results were only 44.4 points per game. And that, again, is right in line what we've been seeing for the entire first month of the NFL season in which there's been 26 overs, 37 unders, one tie. That's 60% under the total, only 43.8 points per game. That is about four points per game less Mark, we've talked about some of the reasons in the last few weeks. Again, this is the uh, five-point-per-game drop compared to last season. It's lower than any season in the NFL since 2010. A lot of people are asking, where did the points go? 
Well, number one, the changes can be primarily attributed to the changes in the passing game. You're seeing these uh, new defensive coverages out there, the cover zero coverage, the cover one coverage, the cover two coverage that forces or funnels everything into the interior of the field and dares the quarterback to throw a little five-yard pass. You're not going to get a lot of high-scoring games when everything is funneled into the middle, not to mention the fact that teams are having great rushing success this season as well, Mark. Um, in terms of passing, NFL teams are combining for 462 passing yards per game, and I say only because that's the second lowest total since uh, 2012, and it's about 30 yards less per game in passing yards compared to 2021. Uh, we're seeing more defenses blitzing this season. 39% of all plays have been blitzes. That's a big jump over the 10-year average of 27% over the last 10 years. And not only that, and this kind of ties in finally to Jeff's comment, our guitar man in Canada, and what you were talking about is that people are screwing up in the red zone as well. There have already been 11 red zone fumbles just through week three of the season. It's tied for the second most in 2011. So again, you're seeing teams getting to the red zone and turning it into zero points. Great observation from Victor about what's going on in the National Football League this year. And Victor, I love your comment about not taking on the surface what you saw last week to be uh, to be exactly what the rule is. That's what I call aberrational handicapping. And in those totals you mentioned last week, while that looked like it appeared to be a decent scoring week, it was because there was one or two games that were aberrations. They were just high, much, much higher scoring than the other games. And if they weren't there, everything else would have watered back down to a much, much lower score. I love doing aberrational handicapping in the second half of seasons. And what I will do, I'll pass this along to our, our, our viewers and our listeners out there, is if you look at teams' logs in the second half of seasons and you take and you throw out their very best and their very worst efforts of the season – going into the second half of the season, you'll find then a true mean for that football team because a team can bust out. A Seattle Seahawks can gain 555 yards in the game. You can rest assured I'll be tossing that yardage figure out in the second half of the season and get more down to what Seattle is all about when it comes to averaging their offense out. So keep that in mind. I call it aberrational handicapping, and we'll talk a little bit more about that when we move into the second half of the football season. One quick note here, Victor, before we go to our NF or I should say our college football game of the week, as we do on the segment each and every week this week, we always share with you a theme that we have from our good friend, Steve Crabb in Dallas, Texas, also known as the Texas tornado. And a good theory and thought that he has is always fading the most embarrassed team in the national football league each week, looking for them to wipe that egg off their face, if you will. And also going against the public who reacts to those most embarrassing moments. And scanning the card up and down this week, Victor, I got to be honest with you. I don't see a most embarrassed football team on the card this week. It might have been, might have been the Green Bay Packers had they lost to New England and not won that game in overtime. And had they not won that game in overtime, it would have completely wiped out right. the survivor pool at the Circa. We'll talk with Andy about that a bit later on the show. But let me ask you this. Do you see any embarrassed teams in the National Football League moving forward this week? Well, one can make a case that uh, Tampa is a little bit of an embarrassed team uh, against Kansas City in that Tampa played, Tampa played a defense on Sunday night in which they wanted to literally take Patrick Mahomes out of the game. We're going to give you every single run possible. And Kansas City in that game ran for 190 yards on 37 attempts. So you can make a case with Tampa Bay being a little bit embarrassed, losing at home by double digits. In fact, losing their second consecutive home game in a row. So that's, that's probably the only other team I would potentially throw in there, Mark. I would agree with that, Victor. I have to probably say if there was a team, and if it's not by default, it could well be Tampa Bay in that. That was their second consecutive home loss in a row. They're going to close out a three-game homestand this week against the Atlanta Falcons, who are flying pretty high off that win over the Cleveland Browns. And if there's a one-way street type football game, might it be the Tampa Bay Bucks this week? I think so, but let's stay tuned, and we'll see exactly how that game plays out. 
You're tuned in to Mark Lawrence Against the Spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. I'm visiting with Victor King from King Creole Sports. And with that, Victor, let's move on over to our college football game of the week. We've got a beauty on tap. It really doesn't get any better when you involve two Southeast Conference East Division teams that have a lot of bragging rights within that conference. We're going to pair Alabama up against Texas A&M. Victor, what's your take on this football game between the Tide and the Aggies? All right, we've got some definite storylines in regards to this game, some drama involved as well. I do want to point out that our producer, Greg, uh, did just send me a note that there was another college football coach fired after last week, and that was Carl Durrell of Colorado yeah. who was fired. And that's not a surprise. Uh, they're not doing great. In fact, the start to their season was pretty historically bad anyway. So, yeah, that is the other coach that was fired last week as well. And we are getting into, you know, Mark, this is normally the time of year that we talk about the Red River rivalry, or we call it the Red River shootout between Oklahoma and Texas. I think for like 10 years in a row on our podcast, we always made that our top-rated college football game to discuss of the week. But folks, it's not happening this year. Neither team is even ranked, so we're going to have to pass on the Oklahoma-Texas game. I'm sure you'll be okay with that. In fact, we got a lot more drama in this Alabama-Texas A&M game. The point spread has Alabama favored by about 24 points. The over-underline opened at 52. It's dropped just a half point. The last time I looked, it was at 51 and a half points. We have uh, injury question marks, and it doesn't get any bigger than quarterback Bryce Young of Alabama, who is currently still questionable for this game as we record the podcast here on uh, late Wednesday afternoon. But does he have an impact in regards to Alabama over under us? He definitely does. Now, in regards to the series, this has been a really extremely high-scoring, uncharacteristically high-scoring series as of late, as in each of the last four years, the game has gone over with the total when Bama plays the Aggies. In 2021, last year, there were 79 combined points and went over by plus 29 points. In 2020, there was 76 combined points. It went over by 21 and a half. In 2019, there was 75 points. The game went over by 14. And then finally in 2018, there were 68 points scored in the Bama A&M game. It went over by eight and a half. So each of the last four years, the game has gone over the total by an average margin of plus 17.3 points per game. Alabama on the season, two and three over under. They've gone one and two at home. They've gone uh, one and one on the road. Uh, Significant is the fact that in their three home games this season, Alabama has allowed a total of only 10 points. Now, before we load up on the under, consider the opposition of those games as well. We always have to provide proper context. Those three home games were against Utah State, uh, L.A. Monroe, and Vanderbilt. Now, Texas A&M, on the other hand, they are 1-4 and over under on the season. They've gone 0-4 at home. They went 1-0 last week on the road against Mississippi State. A game that went over the total by three touchdowns, 21 points. It's still a little deceiving because we do have to point out that Mississippi State had uh, like three freak scores in the game. They had a blocked uh, field goal attempt for a touchdown, a punt return for a touchdown, and then a 76-yard bomb from Will Rogers for a touchdown as well. So, those over numbers for an A and M last week, a little bit deceiving, if you ask me. Uh, bottom line for me, Mark, is when I play Alabama over the totals, they are usually a when the tide is on the road, and b when they're playing an opponent that we can count on with an above-average offense to score 17 or more points. I can't count on the Aggies to get to that specific number. So we're going to lean under in this one for now. We're going to follow the status of Bryce Young. If we find out he's definitely not playing on Saturday, we may up the ante. Either way, we'll lean under with the tide taking on the Aggies. 
Well, as Victor says, leaning under, especially with Bryce Young's status up in the air right now at the moment as we're doing the, the show this particular week. But what concerns me in this football game is this. You know, I know, the world knows that Alabama has had this game circled since last year when A&M stopped their 19-game win streak, and it also snapped Nick Saban's 24-straight win streak against former assistants. That uh, obviously made this circled in red ink, if you will, for Nick Saban coming into the contest this particular year. So we get all prepared. We're all ready to make a case here for Alabama. Nick Saban here and what happens coming this week. Number one, Bryce Young, the quarterback, iffy. Number two, take a look at what happened to Alabama last week in that Arkansas football game. They allowed Arkansas to score 23 unanswered points in that football game. Uh, that yes, they did win and yes, they did cover, but 23 unanswered points, that's not what you expect from the best number one best ranked team in the country. The other thing that concerns me is this, the timing of the football game. And I say that because what it just happened to be week number six for Alabama and for a lot of other college football teams. And in our playbook football newsletter this week, one of our favorite smart box segments is a piece we call the 5-0 and o Fat Cats. And when you talk about 5-0 and o Fat Cats, there you go. Victor's showing you what that piece is right there. A lot of great information inside of that. What it involves is teams that when they open up the season 5-0 and o in game six and they come favored, they're Fat Cats, man. They just simply don't perform in football games and they've really, really sputtered laying points in this particular fat cat role. So that all works against Alabama in this football game. Now do we want to step up and pull the trigger on the Alabama Crimson Tide here, knowing that we're laying Jimbo Fisher more points than he's ever got in his career against any team at any stage of his college football career? That's a really, really dicey question if you ask me. I'm not going to fade the smart box, okay? I'm just simply not going to do that. Uh, it's only because the smart box wins. It turns out winners, it grinds out profits. And I'm not going to step in front of it and say, this week is not going to grind out that particular profit, or this game is not going to grind out that particular profit. So I'm either going to play in this football game, A&M plus the points, or take a pass. A little bit like Victor here, you know, there wasn't a lot of conviction to the under. There's not a lot of conviction for me to Texas A&M, but I'm certainly not going to step in front of that smart box with this football game. So put me down for A&M plus the points or pass on this football contest. You're tuned in to Mark Lawrence against the spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. Victor and I were going against our college football, or going on the college and NFL football cards this weekend. And Victor, let's hop over to the National Football League side of things for our NFL game of the week. And we've got a football game that might not on paper look to be a very marquee type game. But then again, if you look up and down this week's NFL football schedule, there aren't all that many marquee-type football games. But I think this one will prove to be exciting. It was very exciting last year. The Cleveland Browns took on the Los Angeles Chargers in a wild high-scoring football game with each team scoring 40 points in the contest. The Browns eventually lost the game, which eventually cost them a spot in the football playoffs here. Victor, how do you see the Browns and the Chargers in this rematch on Sunday? This should be a fun game up in the lakefront, uh, that's for sure, Mark. Before I do get into uh, our segment here, uh, you mentioned the Playbook newsletter, and there's also a really good article, you know, on page two, Mark always does the musically-themed Bet You Didn't Know, and this week's article is the Bet You Didn't Know, The Sound of Silence for you Simon and Garfunkel fans here, and it's a great article. It tells you to fade some of the teams, and since it applies to one of the teams down here in South Florida, it uh, it's great reading down here as well. So you definitely want to check that out. In fact, all three of our newsletters, we just got the midweek alert. There's the total tip sheet. There's the playbook newsletter. The cover price for all three, $38. But we have a special where you can get all three newsletters for just $25. It's our uh, triple play of newsletters, and you're definitely going to want to check that out at the website. They look fantastic when you print them out in color as well. Let's get into the NFL game. The Chargers favored on the road against Cleveland. They open up as, what, a two-point favorite. They're up to about a field goal right now. The over-under line opened at 48.0. It's come down a half a point to about 47.5, and, and we're leaning under. And, uh, you know, I'm an old school guy. It's still very difficult for me to fathom 
high over underlines for Cleveland Browns games as great of an under team as they have been over the last 10 years. Last week, it was 48 and a half against Atlanta. We used Cleveland Atlanta under as a three-star play. It won pretty easily. We said there'd be, what, 70 or more rushing plays in that game? There were. Uh, so, again, when I see Cleveland Browns games with high over-underlines, it's still a little bit confusing to me. Now, on the season, the Chargers, the road team, they're 2-2 two and two over-under. They went under the total in their first two games. They've gone over the total in each of their last two games, including that road win last week against the Houston Texans. Cleveland comes in as a 3-1 and over-under team. They have gone over in each of their two home games. They've gone 1-1 one and one on the road. On the uh, offensive side of things, yeah, we got a couple of pretty good offenses here. The Chargers, number seven ranked offense, what, 372 yards per game, 23 points per game. Cleveland, even better, number four offense in the NFL, 385 yards per game, an excellent balance of rushing and passing, and a surprisingly productive season from Brissett, a quarterback for the Browns as well. Now, again, with that said, Mark, we're going to be going under in this particular game, and most of it is based on one of the articles that we wrote this week in the Totals Tip Sheet newsletter. We're getting into that time of the year in the NFL where we start seeing these west-to-east zone situations where a West Coast team travels across three time zones and has to play in a Sunday early game against an Eastern time zone opponent. That is happening this particular week. We wrote it, wrote about it again in the Totals Tip Sheet newsletter, and it's gone 78% under the total over the last 15 years. And what you're asking for is game four or greater West time zone teams who are favored on the road, like the Chargers, against any East time zone opponent. If the game is played on a Sunday, these games have gone under the total again, 78% with the Chargers favored by three in the game. That's the way we're leading. Um, another situation with the Chargers off a high scoring road favorite win last week. I went into the database and checked that out. And teams who are favored on the road for the second week in a row after winning by double digits on the road in a game that went over the total, like the Chargers, these teams have gone 1-12 and 12 over under over the last 10 seasons. Nice. They've gone under by an average of eight points per game. Obviously, we're leaning under. We're going to also follow the injury concerns for the Browns in this particular game, Mark. And if we find out that defensive ends Miles Garrett and Jadavian uh, County play, then we're going to bump this under up even more. I say that because not only are they great for the defense, not only are they great pass rushers, but both of them are great run stuffers as well. So we'll be going under this game. We may even bump up our dollar amount if we find out that Cleveland's great two defensive linemen are playing in this game. Victor goes under this total, looks for a reversal from last year's 47-42 score to stay under the total this year when the Chargers invade the North Coast to take on the Cleveland Browns on Sunday. What we've got working in this game here, looking at the side perspective of the contest, guys, is we have a total of 15 teams in the National Football League this year. They've started the season 2-2. Two and two. That's the most ever in National Football League history, and these are two of those teams, a pair of two-and-two two teams, making this game critically important to both football programs here. Victor mentions here the Cleveland Browns situation here with their stud defensive linemen being out of the football game last week, and in fact, all of their starting defensive linemen were out in the Atlanta football game last week, and you had to give it to Arthur Smith. He saw it, he realized it, and he gouged the Cleveland Browns on the ground and just ran the football down their throat. Now, if you don't find these line, these defensive uh, front wall for the Browns playing again, the Chargers are the worst team in the National Football League in running the football. I don't believe there's anything they'll be able to do to take advantage of a situation like that. This is a personal observation, but we'll have to check the game time decision to see whether or not these two players from the Cleveland Browns do indeed play this football game. 
What the Cleveland Browns are is they happen to be one of only four teams in the National Football League that have won the yards in every football game they played this year. They're 2-2 two and two in the football season, and you can make a case that they well could be 4-0 and oh this season here. The loss to the Jets was absolutely horrific. That was a nightmare in the making in the way that evolved there. And the loss to the Falcons last week came also with asterisks with the injuries that they had and the manner in which they lost the football game. So they're playing as good a football right now as a lot of teams in the National Football League are the Cleveland Browns. They also just happen to be a team that owns the better offense, surprisingly, Jacoby Brissett, if you take a look, Justin Herbert, better offense, Cleveland Browns. And the better defense, the Cleveland Browns. And you know our axiom, better offense, better defense, you better take the points. And we'll do just that with the Cleveland Browns for our side in this football game on Sunday. You're tuned in to Mark Lawrence against the spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. And it's time for us to hop out to Las Vegas to get the Vegas vibe from our good friend Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas. Andy, how's everything going for you in Las Vegas this football season? It's going very well, Mark, uh, both uh, in the colleges with a nice week last week and the pros have been pretty steady following uh, the first week of the season, which was a little rough for, uh, for a lot of us. And I just heard your comments about the Chargers and the Browns and the uh, I've already made a play on the Cleveland Browns this week for many of the reasons that you enumerated, uh, especially their tremendous ability to uh, run the football, which uh, makes me um, um, uh, somewhat uh, confident about their ability to take advantage of the Chargers, especially control clock. Herbert did look good for the Chargers last week in that uh, in that win, but uh, uh, in, in their win uh, against Houston. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, uh, you made some very good points about Cleveland. Haven't had an opinion yet on the uh, total, but I uh, will take into strong consideration Victor's comments in that game. Well, Andy, I'm glad uh, everything is working out well for you in Las Vegas this week. I'm also glad you like our Cleveland Brown side of the football game. I have to throw that in there as well. And uh, if we can, uh, if we can catch up a little bit on what we do each and every week on the show. Uh, an update of standings on the Vegas contest. And uh, I know we're going to talk about the survivor. And when we do, I'm going to pinpoint you to one big question when we get there, uh, because I don't think a lot happened there last week. I'm only going to guess because of the results. But uh, when we get there, I'll lay a question on you and see what your comment happens to be. But what did you see in the contest, the big boy contest in Las Vegas last week? Okay, well, I'll, I'll start first with the uh, Golden Nugget, the contest that combines both college and pro football. It's a little difficult to really get a consensus there. There's, I think it's 128 contestants, and they get to choose from roughly uh, 60 college games and uh, the, uh, the uh, 16 games this past week when we have a full week of NFL games. Uh, so there's not a lot of, of players who would be on the same side, but I can give you the standings uh, through the... Uh, First four weeks of the contest where they've made a total of 28 selections. There is one leader at uh, 18 uh, points out of the uh, possible 28. Two more are a half point behind. Eight are at uh, 17. Three are at 16 and a half. And 21 are at 16. And the reason I drop it off at that point is the Golden Nugget pays only the top 20 placers. Actually, the top 10 are the ones who make the money, 11 through 20 um, are the ones who get uh, their $1,000 entry fee refunded. So right now, with those 21 tied at 16, there are 35 contestants out of the 128 in position right now to cash. But of course, uh, we've only had four weeks down and 14 to go. Looking at the uh, Westgate contest, uh, the, super the, the Super Contest Gold uh, had 80 participants, participants this year. And again, for that low number reason, uh, it's, it's not that significant as far as what the consensus plays are as compared to the Westgate uh, Classic and uh, the Circa Million. But the standings do have one contestant, five picks a week, 17 and three to start the season in the $5,000 winner take all. Another contestant is a half point back, one more at 16, and you've got eight at 15. Five at 14 and a half and seven at 14. That works out to a total of uh, 23 contestants, more than a quarter of the field hitting 70% or better through the first four weeks of the season. 
And now let's turn to the uh, Westgate Super Contest, the granddaddy, the Rose Bowl, if you will, of handicapping contests in Las Vegas. Maybe about 80 years behind uh, the number of years that the Rose Bowl has been in existence. <laughs> uh, but nonetheless, it's uh, been very popular. And uh, even this year, uh, after the COVID and the competition from Circa, it still drew nearly 1,600 entries uh, 1,598 to be specific. Coming into this past week, the consensus of the top five selections, a very solid 10 and five. And this past week, week four saw the top five picks in the Super Contest Classic go a perfect five and oh, led by the Minnesota Vikings, the Dallas Cowboys, Arizona Cardinals, Tennessee Titans, and the Las Vegas Raiders. Top five picks, all five won, bringing the uh, selections for the year for the consensus 15 and five, 75% which is nice. Unfortunately, it's only through 20 picks and not 80 picks, which would be really remarkable. We'll see where that stands in December. But right now, the consensus overall to not just a very good start, but nice and consistent start because they've had winning weeks all four weeks, topped by uh, the 5-0 and this week. Uh, looking at the uh, two Circa contests, and we'll start with the Circa Million. That's the one with a $6 million guarantee prize payout, including a million dollars for the winner. Similar in structure to the uh, Super Contest, five picks a week against a ta static point spread. Overlay in this contest this year, they needed 6,000 entries at $1,000 each to uh, equal the uh, to fund the $6 million guarantee. So Derek Stevens and the folks at uh, Circa uh, are going to be uh, coming, came up a bit short. They uh, it's a, a, about a million three hundred thousand dollars uh, overlay for the field, but uh, I'm sure the folks over there. First of all, they did make their guarantee for the contest I'll talk about next, the Survivor, uh, but uh, they'll be pleased with all the publicity that they continue to generate around, well, not just the nation, but the world, actually, with the popularity of his two contests. Uh, for the Circa Million, the top five selections, the top four uh, uh, were uh, winners this week with the Vikings, Cowboys, Raiders, and Cardinals all cashing tickets. The one loser, the Pittsburgh Steelers, with their late loss to the New York Jets, had they been able to hold off the Jets at uh, at the end, uh, maybe even, well, they were able to foil even a field goal attempt, they would have pushed as that line was uh, Pittsburgh by three. Still a nice four and one week to build upon the nine and six start from weeks one through three, 13 and seven for that consensus through the first four weeks of the contest which works out to a nice 65% for uh, the consensus. And again, that's a consensus of uh, uh, 4,691 entries. And in fact, almost half the field, uh, a little bit under half the field, were on one pick. And it was the Minnesota Vikings laying the two and a half, maybe getting a little bit fortunate at the end of that contest over in London. 2,042 were on the Minnesota Vikings last week. Wow. That's uh, uh, nearly 700 more than the second choice, which were the Dallas Cowboys, with a little bit, uh, about 1,350 selections on that one. So that's the uh, update for the Circa Million Contest. And then the one that you alluded to earlier, the Circa Survivor, which drew 6,000 133 entries, and this week we saw 279 eliminated. The Packers barely survived as they led the way with 699 contestants choosing uh, the Packers. And of course, as you know, you can only use a team once per year uh, in the contest, uh, and this is a straight-up contest uh, to uh, try and gain part of that $6 million pool if you're able to finish as the only one remaining at the end or one of a group of a few, but it does re reduce the number of uh, teams that you can select from. So for example, four teams were already picked by each contestant who's still alive in the first four weeks of the contest. Otherwise, Green Bay may have been a very popular pick even more than just uh, 689. Nonetheless, uh, they, uh, they survived with their overtime win against New England. Uh, the one top five team that went down this or top, uh, top four uh, team that went down uh the Steelers 177 were eliminated with a pick on Pittsburgh 169's top pick or only pick was Philadelphia and of course they had their nice win uh this past week to remain unbeaten the um Los Angeles Chargers were the fourth most popular at 163 entries. That was a winner. And the number five pick was a, uh, a loser. 91 contestants went out with uh, the Detroit Lions with their uh, upset home loss to uh, Seattle. Uh, other teams that were eliminated last week, 49 were eliminated uh, when the Colts lost at home to Tennessee. Uh, Cleveland uh, had uh, eight 
uh, on on their side in in their uh, loss at Atlanta last week. Uh, the Carolina Panthers uh, were losers for three of the contestants uh, in their uh, shortcoming last week. And uh, last week, uh, after a couple of weeks where people didn't submit uh, selections, nobody was eliminated for failure to make a pick uh, in week four. So 279 were eliminated. That leaves just 1,222 entries still alive of the more than 6,100 or a shade under 20% of the field remains after just four weeks of this contest. Well, Andy, the question I was going to ask you, but you more or less answered it within your recap here, is uh, uh, we did not use the Green Bay Packers ourselves last week, uh, knowing that they would be the obvious number one choice in the contest for a couple of different reasons. And this might be strategizing. I want to ask your opinion on this. Uh, we opted for Philadelphia instead. And a couple of reasons. Number one, we felt there was a better spot to use Green Bay down the road. And number two, had the Packers gone out, the field would have been cut in half. Uh, from where it is right now. And uh, the question I'm going to ask of you is, are we at the stage of this contest where it, it's better to be fading the most popular choices for fear of a broom coming in and sweeping them out and looking to use another play or instead focus on the team that keeps you alive? That's the question. It's an interesting question because there are two answers which are somewhat yes and no, because it depends upon your philosophy. Uh, the the old Jim Valvano quote, survive in advance, suggests that you take uh, the best uh, team remaining to, according to your method of handicap or, or assessing the week schedule and uh, get that one into the next week, regardless of how many are with you, how many are opposite you, or how many are just on other games entirely. So that's one method, and that makes a lot of sense. One of the strategies that, that I talk to people who enter the contest, as I did myself, of course, I didn't get a chance to use the strategy. Jesus, I went out in week one with the Tennessee Titans. Nonetheless, it is a strategy where people do look over the course of the season to try to pick out a handful of teams that they are prepared to play in any given week. Keeping in mind, you need to have at least one and potentially two or three of the six teams that play on Thanksgiving Day. And the same thing is true for the uh, contest over uh, Christmas weekend, where, uh, if I recall correctly, there are games on uh, th a Thursday night game and two games on the 24th, six teams. So you want to make sure that you have teams available there, because if you don't have a team uh, for that week, you automatically get eliminated because you can't select for those short uh, those short weeks. So that that's one thing that that regardless of what strategy you use during the season, you pay you want to pay specific attention to those two weeks where we just those two contest weeks, I should say, where they are, are just uh, uh, three games to uh, to choose from. So that's that's one one thing that everyone should keep in mind, regardless of how you approach the unfolding of the season. Uh, other folks will look backwards at the uh, contest and say, okay, if I'm alive to week 20, the final week of the contest, uh, which teams do I feel most comfortable having? And they might have three or four uh, teams remaining. Keep in mind that of the, of the 18 weeks, you're going to, uh, I'm sorry, of the 20 weeks in the contest, that means there are going to be 20 teams you will have to use and only 12 that you may not want to use. Now, you may want to use some of those 12 picks. In other words, you may decide before the season starts, these are the 12 teams that right now I'm not looking to play at any time. I don't trust the Jets or the Giants or the Jags or the or the or the Texans or whatever teams you think are at the bottom of the barrel. But there may be an opportunity during the season where two of those teams meet one another and you may want to use an other, a team that you otherwise might not want to use. Uh, for example, let's take this week, although the teams are playing better than maybe they were expected, even though Houston remains winless. They're at Jacksonville. Those are two teams that you might have thought at the start of the season. I can't see any place where I would use either of these two teams. You might want to use that this week and preserve, for example, a mid-level team like, let's say, Oh, I don't know, maybe the Minnesota Vikings or a team like that, that you might say, eh, I don't know when I want to use them, but that's the other strategy. I tend to advocate for the most part, especially if you have multiple entries still remaining, that you plan ahead and have a handful of teams each week because you know what the matchups are each week. So you want to sort of scout out where you want to play certain teams. And you may very well want to start with looking at those two short weeks and saying, OK, I want to have, you know, Dallas and whomever available for Thanksgiving and uh, you know Green Bay and whatever team is available for Christmas. And then you work around those two teams for the rest of the rest of the season schedule. Savvy advice from Andy Isco joining us from Las Vegas. Publisher of the logical approach, football newsletter, one of the best on the market. 
You can check out that newsletter and all about ENT services. Simply log on at thelogicalapproach.com. And Andy, it's that time of the show where our listeners would love to know what you've got on tap this week. A nice winning selection last week at the Las Vegas Raiders, I believe moving your record to 3-1 and one thus far this football season here. Let's get to that 80% range with the winner this week. What does it look like, Andy? Well, I'm going to go to a game that may be somewhat under the radar. I'm going to look at the game of Washington hosting the uh, Tennessee Titans. Washington currently a two-and-a-half-point home underdog. Uh, one of the keys uh, for me for this game is for Washington to keep the score close in the first half. And the reason I say that is Tennessee has struggled greatly after halftime uh, of, uh, of their games this year. In fact, after outscoring Tennessee's uh, the opposition in, in the first half, 68-37 to 37 in the first halves of their games, the um, – Titans have been outscored 64 to 7 wow. after halftime, including three consecutive weeks in which they failed to score in those uh, last three games. Uh, that tells me that it may be a case of a halftime adjustments, failure for Mike Vrabel and uh, the coaching staff to make adjustments. Maybe it's uh, relaxing a little bit. Uh, they were up 24 10, as a matter of fact, in each of the last two games, both of which they held on to win two weeks ago against the Raiders, and then last week once again at Indianapolis. So uh, that's a little bit of a concern. Uh, Washington uh, is, is a team that uh, uh, has performed not quite as well as expected, but they haven't been embarrassing. I mean, yeah, they did get uh, blown out by Philadelphia 24-8 to in another game where Philadelphia uh, also did not score half after halftime and Washington got the last eight points. And then uh, uh, another game that they played, uh, the, the game last week, uh, where uh, also they came up short at Dallas after ke keeping it competitive in the first half. But this is, this is as much a play against Tennessee as it is on Washington. And the other thing that I like about this game is last week, Washington was a quote-unquote sharp play last week amongst a lot of the, uh, the, the big professionals who took the three, ultimately three and a half at Dallas. And as I mentioned, it was a close game until Dallas ended up uh, dominating the second half, winning 25 to 10. And I sometimes like to look at teams that the Sharps are all over but fail with in one week. Sometimes they're just a week early. And maybe this is the week when Dallas gives the performance that they didn't give last week. Uh, I'm sorry, that Washington gives the performance this week that they didn't give last week and may have soured a lot of people on Washington when, in fact, whatever made them uh, the Sharps like about Washington last week may be evident this week. And again, they're getting a team that has struggled after halftime. And I think Washington is going to, uh, well, at plus two and a half, uh, a good part of the play will be on the money line, but I'll also be taking the plus two and a half as well in case we have one of those uh, um, extra points that hit the crossbar or a two-point conversion that fails, getting the plus two and a half. I'd like to get plus three, but I'll settle for some of it on two and a half. Like an unexpected pregnancy, the Washington Redskins peaked early last week, didn't arrive. Andy says they arrived this week. I concur with your selection, Andy, as well. I happen to like that play, and I think your analogy was spot on in, in addition to the play itself. So put me down for Washington. I'll put you down for our play on the Cleveland Browns, and we'll see where we meet in between, between now and next week. That sounds great. I'm going to wish everyone a great week, and uh, uh, let's see uh, – Let's see how many survive and survivor this week. It's uh, surprising that 80% has been eliminated. Uh, I haven't assessed it yet as to what the popular play will be this week, but hopefully it'll be a game I won't be involved in. Well, I hope so too, Andy. <laughs> and good luck to you, Mark, as you continue along uh, as you're part of the uh, the 80%. The, the, you're part of the 20% that still gets to advance. Well, thankfully, knock on wood, we'll see if we can keep that ball rolling as well. Thanks, Andy. Have a great week. That was Andy Isco joining us from Las Vegas from TheLogicalApproach.com with the Vegas vibe as he does each and every week here on Mark Lawrence Against the Spread. And with that, before I move on to my awesome angle of the week on the show this week, let's turn over to our good friend Jim Feist, who's got a complimentary pick for our listeners and viewers out there now. Jim, take it away. Hello, everybody. Jim Feist in Las Vegas for the Playbook Show. Hello, Mark. This week, my team on the show is Wake Forest, a sizable favorite over Army. But I look for Sam Hartman to have an explosion like he did last year with 458 yards. He's had 15 touchdown passes in his last four games. I look for an explosion by Sam Hartman and an explosion and another win in cover for Wake Forest, who've covered 
six of the last seven. Big weekend. Have fun. Collect the money. Welcome back, everybody. Mark Lawrence along with Victor King as we go against the spread in this week's NFL and college football cards. And it's time once again for our weekly awesome angle of the week on the football card this week. And like we did last week, our awesome angle comes once again from the Playbook Football Newsletter, this time from our Betcha Didn't Know column. Victor referred to our Betcha Didn't Know column, and we're going to refer to that once again this particular week in college football. Uh, it comes from our Sound of Silence. And by the way, the Sound of Silence by Simon and Garfunkel, I just want to throw this out there. There was a uh, another version that was done, and I didn't come upon this until about two years ago, by a group called Disturbed, who I have no clue who they were or anything like that. But when, it was, when somebody told me to go listen to the song, I was absolutely blown away by their version of Sound of Silence. So if you have a chance, go check it out. Sound of Silence by Disturbed. I think you're going to really like what you hear in that particular song. Nonetheless, let's move on to our awesome angle of the week on the show this week. And what we're going to do is to play against any college football favorite that's coming off a straight-up loss as a favorite of 20 or more points if they're facing a 400 or better opponent coming off a loss. We do that by fading these guys. We are 19-4-1 against the spread. That's an 83% winning angle. This week we'll be playing against the Pitt Panthers and on the Virginia Tech Hokies for our awesome angle play on the show this week. And with that, I'm going to hand it over to Victor King from King Creole Sports to find out what Victor's got on tap this week. And Victor, if you do the honors with your complimentary play as well. Sure thing, Mark. We're going to kind of work our way backwards again. We will have an over-under selection in the Monday night game. That's the AFC West battle between the Raiders and the Chiefs. Four-star NFL over of the week that will be available. Uh, it goes on Sunday. Don't forget the college football over-unders as well now. Seven and two on the season, 78% for our college over-unders. And we've got another over going in Saturday night action. Of course, all of our selections available right here at the website, playbooksports.com. And we're going to lay low this week with our two doggies. Poor Tuco is distraught. He's on a very, very rare two-game losing streak. And uh, this week, he's been in the patio penalty box. <laughs> so Tuco is going to lay low this particular week. With that said, though, we're going to be using the under in the Titans-Commanders game. And I know Andy just talked about the game, and he is on the home underdog side in this game. So we're going to kind of climb on his back and tag team him and go low in this particular game. And obviously the highlight from our database is the fact that you have a AFC team. It's laying points on the road against an NFC opponent. That last look, what they were favored by two and a half to three points, uh, Tennessee. In the last three seasons, AFC road favorites have gone an amazing one and 17 over under oh. versus any NFC opponent when the over-under line is reasonably priced at less than 54 points. That's three years, one over, 17 unders, and that's a great way to start here. Of course, Tennessee just pulled off that low-scoring upset against the Colts last week. Uh, two and 14 over-unders since the 2018 season. Non-division road teams off a division road dog win that also went under the total. That applies to the Colts this week. Uh, Washington is struggling on offense. In fact, they've scored, what, only eight and 10 points in their last two games. In the last three years in the NFL, NFC non-division teams who scored 10 or less points in each of their last two games have gone a perfect 0 and 7 over under. That applies to the commanders in this particular game. The clincher is the fact that Washington has been the ultimate uh, underdog as of late. Their last 16 rolls as an underdog, they've gone 2-14 and 14 over under. The line's at 42.5. Get your action in at that line. We'll be going Titans and Commanders under the total. I'm sure Mark has a free play, not to mention a big weekend in store. Not, for, not to also to mention 
that big October Rama special. Yeah, October Rama, Victor. We just price dropped October Rama $100 down to $299. That'll get you four weeks of all of my selections for the month of October. Included will be, now get this, our five-star college football game of the month, our five-star NFL game of the month, this weekend's NFL Perfect System Play of the Year, and I'm also going to throw in Major League Baseball playoffs as a no-charge bonus. Check it out all online for our double five-star October Rama at playbooksports.com or give our office a call toll-free. The number is 800-321-7777. And by the way, Victor's over-under play, that 1-17 stat. If that doesn't rock your socks, nothing else will. He had a winner last week with New Orleans. We'll see if he keeps that winning streak going alive on the show this week. Before I get to my complimentary play, I want to remind our listeners out there that our good friends at mybookie.ag are offering all playbook podcast and videocast subscribers, listeners, and viewers a double first-time deposit bonus. All you need to do is log on at mybookie.ag. Use the promo code PLAYBOOK to get your double first-time deposit, mybookie. A-G. And with that, let's get to my complimentary play on the college football card this week. Like last week when we used the Purdue Boilermakers, that was a play from our Playbook Newsletter Upset Special. When we took the points against them with Minnesota last week, we're going right back with the Boilermakers this week as they take points from the Maryland Terrapins this week. And Jeff Brom, certain coaches just fit into certain roles, and Jeff Brom is just that. He's an un- he's an awesome underdog in college football, especially in conference games where he's 16 and seven to the spread in his career. And when his team, his team's win percentage is less than 666 in the season, you can make that number 15 and three against the spread for Jeff Brom. On the flip side, you talk about coaches, Michael Loxley, the head coach from Maryland is get this Owen 13 straight up with just two point spread covers against teams that are coming off back to back wins. And if you put him up against a conference opponent that's off a conference win, that number drops to one and 16 straight up and against the spread for Mike Loxley. You put it all together with Purdue 77 yards a game better defense. I'll grab the points of the Boilermakers once again for my complimentary play on the show this week. And by the way, be sure to check out our playbook videos online. You can get all of my videos. You can just log on at pb.buzz forward slash ml pb.buzz forward slash ml to get my complimentary video picks each and every day at playbooksports.com. For Victor King from King Creole Sports and our good friend Andy Isco joining us from Las Vegas from thelogicalapproach.com. Until next week, once again, this is Mark Lawrence reminding you to always remember to bet with your head, not over it, and good luck as always.